Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Kat Medina. But before we get to Kat, here's a few announcements. Our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there. You'll see photos of our guests. You can see stories that some of the guests have written. You can see stories that I've written. You can see links to the guest's social media. And you can see links to our social media. And by that, I mean, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram. Well, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. We have a Facebook page. We have a YouTube channel. Go there and check out a bunch of the videos that I've done. There are links to Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio. We're also on iHeartRadio, Spotify, basically wherever you get your podcasts. So if you listen on any of those platforms, and most of you do, please give us a good rating. That boosts our presence, helps more people find the show, and that's a cool thing for you to do. If you think you'd be right for the show, or maybe you know somebody who might be right for the show, or maybe you just want to write me and ask travel questions, or maybe just say nice things and tell me how great I am, <laughs> you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of our email, Kat Medina reached out to me, or rather her people reached out to me through the magic of email to tell me about Kat Medina's new book. I didn't know anything about her, and uh, but when I saw the title of her book, I was immediately hooked. Her book is called The Joys of Jet Lag, How to Use a Traveler's Mindset to Not Be an A-Hole in Daily Life. Come on, that says it all right there, doesn't it? So I checked out her website. I read about her history and a little bit of her blog posts, and I thought we saw eye to eye in a lot of things. I've often talked about on this show how uh, I'm a different person traveling, and I'm much more present and aware of uh, life. I slow down. I notice the world around me. I take things in. And I have wondered in the past, why can't I feel this present when I'm back home? Well, Kat asked herself the same thing. So she took stories from her travels and remembered how she felt, what the experiences taught her. And she began to see that she did feel like a different person when she traveled. And maybe if we brought some of that back home, we wouldn't be staring out the window all day long, one wishing we were somewhere else. That maybe there are things about who we are when we travel and we're experiencing new things all the time. That if we just put into our everyday lives, we could bring some of that joy and that wonderment wherever we happen to be, even if it's our own hometown. And that was a thought I could get behind. Kat is married with a child in South Lake Tahoe, California. Lovely place. If you've never been, I recommend it. And little did I know when I talked to her, she was nine months pregnant, uh, two weeks away from giving birth to her second son. So I'm glad we got a chance to squeeze in a conversation before her life was changed pretty uh, extravagantly. But it was cool getting to know her. And you can find her book, The Joys of Jet Lag, How to Use a Traveler's Mindset to Not Be an A-Hole in Daily Life, on Amazon. And we'll have a link to it at Travel Tales Podcast. You can follow her on Instagram at Cat Medina Writer. And best of all, you get to hear her in her own voice tell her story right here on Travel Tales. Please enjoy my conversation with Cat Medina. (laughs) 
Papadino, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited what? to be here. Where are you? Are you in, uh, I think you're in Tahoe. Is that it? Yeah. South Lake Tahoe in California. Lovely. Well, I'm down here in Los Angeles. What's the weather like? It's really nice. You know, we had a very wild winter as you did too, um, like record breaking snow and just starting yesterday, it's been heating up a bit. So it's starting to actually act like summer. Can you still ski there? Um, you know, the last resort that is open over in North Lake closes on the 4th of July. So it is possible. <laughs> so it was like record snow this year or something. I know my friends in Mammoth got record snow. Yeah, it was it was wild. Like we have a six foot fence in our backyard and my dog Donut could easily just walk over the top of the fence because the snow <laughs> surpassed it. Well, are you a native up there or where are you from? No, I'm originally from Northern California, from Santa Rosa, um, but I've bounced around all over California and lived a couple places outside the U.S. too. And then I always had the goal to end up here in Tahoe, and we made it happen a few years ago, and it's been a dream come true. No, that sounds lovely. Well, I mean, if you grew up here, I know I I consider that a native because, you know, you don't find too many native Californians, really, at least not in Hollywood down here. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just so I always uh I'm always impressed when I meet one. It's like, oh, that that sounds nice. <laughs> How long have you been in Tahoe? A little over three years. We moved just before the pandemic started, which was very timing. timing because the real estate market really blew up after that time. Cause everyone, yeah. well, I can work remotely, so I might as well work in Tahoe because it's so nice. <laughs> now you're in uh, you're a tech person, right? I mean, in at heart, right? wasn't that your uh, your main gig? You were were you a content creator of some sort? Uh so my I've been self-employed for almost 12 years now and um I basically do web design and development but specialize in doing sites for water sports companies who do wakeboarding, water skiing and a few years ago I decided to pursue what was really calling on me, which was writing. And so I kind of wear both hats. Now I'm more leaning towards the writing and public speaking and that sort of thing. But on the side, I still maintain the websites to some of our repeat clients. Um, but I never considered myself a computer person. I just kind mm -hmm. of landed in that job. And it was more my means to an end. Uh, it gave me the flexibility that I needed to do what I really love, which is travel. Right. And you combine travel and writing. I love the name of your book, The Joys of Jet Lag, How to Use a Traveler's Mindset to Not Be an Asshole in Daily Life. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I can say asshole. We can say anything. We can say asshole. Though. Although you have it as a-hole, right? On your... Yes. Yeah. But I'm, I'm happy to know that. That makes me feel more comfortable. <laughs> sure. We'll get to the book in a, in a minute. But um, when you said you lived uh, overseas, I know it was like... Where Spain and Argentina, I saw, and uh, France, I think, as well? Yeah, and Ecuador. And Ecuador, okay. Was this work-related, or were you just like deciding, you know what, I think I'll live here this year? Uh, so for France and Spain, I did those as a part of a study abroad program. Um, France when I was 17, and then Spain in college. And then after graduating college, I just, I've always been called to go to South America. It just always piqued my interest from the time I was a little girl. And I feel like 
everyone has that one spot in the world where they have always felt drawn to. And after graduating and starting the web design business, I was like, I don't have a mortgage. I don't have a family, uh, like, you know, kids or anything. I might as well do it now while I still can. And so with Argentina and Ecuador, it was more like, you know what, let's go. And I chose Ecuador because I heard they have a pretty neutral Spanish accent. And I wanted to learn a Spanish that could be used across the board rather than Spain Spanish. When I came back from that study abroad program, um, you know, working in restaurants and stuff. You, could, you couldn't speak to the Mexicans? No, it was there were different <laughs> terms and stuff. I learned one time that the term for straw in Spain Spanish actually means penis in Mexican Spanish. And I yeah. used wrong way. So that was a fun learning experience. Yeah, but, I bet they got a kick out of that. Yeah, um, I asked the guy if he wanted a penis with his water. So yeah, do I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so what part of Spain were you in? I mean, what which accent was it? Was it Barcelona or Barcelona? Yeah, oh, so yeah. That's going to really mess you up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and, and it was also kind of challenging to learn Spanish there because it's such a touristy big city that when people found out where I was from, they wanted to practice their English. And then right. when I went to Ecuador, I found this really remote town in the Andes. And if I wanted to communicate, I had to either speak Spanish or use gestures. And hmm. I did both. And it also made me really good at charades. So that's <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing in the uh, high in the Andes, you didn't pass as a local. No, that was about <laughs> the first time in my life that I've ever been considered tall. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. How tall are you? Above. I'm I'm five four, but there I was like a a good eight inches to a foot above everyone else. <laughs> I've heard this from other uh, female travelers, like when they go to Vietnam and stuff like that, they can't find any clothes in their size. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because they don't make dresses that you know for tall women. Exactly. Oh, let's talk about the book now. It seemed to. Uh, take on a theme that I've talked about before on this show, which is not that I'm a different person when I travel, but I'm more hyper aware, I think, of my surroundings just because it's new. And um, I'm never more present than when I travel. And now, is that a theme that you touch on in the book of like, how do I stay this present? I always wonder like that. How do I stay this present in my everyday life when everything's just kind of routine and we don't see the little things? Exactly. Um, you kind of nailed it. Basically, like I I realized, you know, in, in all of my travels, it was kind of like I was effortlessly my best self. And so it was like I was two different people. There was a travel cat and then who I was at home. And I I prioritized travel. I made it happen, you know, but still I spent most of my time in California. And I would just be like working, planning, going through the motions, trying to get to the next trip when I could feel like myself and like I was living with purpose and and being the person I was most proud to be. And I realized one day I was like, man, I still spend most of my time not traveling, not quote unquote, being my best self. And it felt like such a waste of time to spend my days, you know, wishing I was somewhere else instead of enjoying where I was. And I was like, well, let's think here. When I travel, I show up and it's like, as soon as I step off the airplane, I'm like, 
you know, totally present and just kind of in the state of gratitude and awe where I'm noticing everything around me and more spontaneous. And I see setbacks or challenges as part of the adventure. And I'm able to find the humor more easily. And then at home, you know, like if a random work fire popped up, I let it totally throw off my day. So it was like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. And I realized that, you know, I already know how to be the best version of me that I can. I know how to feel that joy that I'm craving and the aliveness and the sense of purpose, because when I'm abroad, it's effortless. I don't even think about it. And so I know how to do it. And I realized I just had to pinpoint what those differences were. Um, And what it came down to was that when I was abroad, I had a different mindset. I had a traveler's mindset is kind of what I dubbed it. And so I really looked at the different values and qualities and actions that I adopted when I was abroad and then made it my mission to bridge the gap between who I was abroad and who I was at home by applying those to daily life. And, you know, some of the things that I did is I realized like when I traveled, I was more open hearted. And with that, I mean, you know, I, I was open to having conversations with new people and, you know, not rushing through my day or my busy schedule, um, turning down opportunities to get to know people and get curious about them and and their situation. Um, Luckily in Tahoe, where I live now, it's kind of built in where if you go to the grocery store or cafe, someone's going to ask you how your day is going. And I remember when I first moved here, I moved from San Jose, which was super fast paced and everything. And I'd be all concerned that the people behind me would get annoyed by me answering their questions. So I'd be like, I'm good. All right. Thank you. Bye. And then I realized like, no, this is an opportunity to be open hearted and connect with someone and get to know them. And so now I'm that slow person in line. Sorry if it annoys the visitors, but it annoys me. See, now you're that guy, huh? Yeah. That's funny. Well, that's what I mean in terms of like, but even when I'm travel, if I'm in a big city, again, it does move faster. You do piss people off behind you and uh, you might end up talking to like a crazy person, which happens. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I do live in L.A., so I, I got to be careful who I start a conversation with. And and also you just tend to have your guard up more, I think. And, you know, I am hyper aware just being in a city. <laughs> so yeah. I guess I'm present when I'm walking, but it's more of a shield than being open. You know what I mean? I'm still yeah. present, but it's just like I'm I'm more on guard, I guess. But yeah. what were the uh, what were the things that you did to pull yourself back when you feel yourself closing up? I think one of the big things is I noticed like when I was traveling, I'd automatically see things around me with fresh eyes because everything was new. And like, you know, even common things, things like going to the grocery store or going out to eat or just walking through a park, I'd be more aware of the differences and notice them not from a judgmental place, but more of a curious and appreciative place where it's like, wow, that's really interesting. They do that here or uh, things like that. And at home, I go through my days and just I got so used to a lot of the things that I had that like clean drinking water, hot shower, 
being able to get gas for my car whenever I wanted. Um, and I knew just firsthand from a lot of the places that I'd been to how rare those things actually were. And it was kind of like when I went on trips to developing countries and then came back, I'd have a reverse sense of culture shock. And I'd be like on overdrive of like, wow, this is amazing. I can't believe I, you know, have reliable electricity or internet. Right. And I get used to it and forget about it and stop appreciating it. And I think that's one thing that COVID really in, ingrained in us is that, you know, the things that we generally stop noticing, stop appreciating because of their commonality and how much we can depend on them are the things that we'd miss the most if they were gone. And so I made it a point when I started to get too comfortable in not noticing all the little gifts around me. Um, I'd have to pull myself back and stop and be like, this is actually incredible. And so it's kind of like this constant practice of gratitude for the simple things, as cliche as it sounds. But that's one of the easiest way that I was able to find that joy that I was craving is to notice things with fresh eyes like it was the first time that I've been seeing it. Well, I've always also said on this show a number of times, like one of the things that I did or I still do to this day after I've been gone a long time out of the out of the country is when I land back into the US or some, you know, first world whatever nation that um I take a big drink out of the water fountain mm -hmm. in the airport, which, you know, there's a good chance I hadn't done in weeks or months, <laughs> you know, in, in depending on what country you you would never do that in like, you know, when you travel through India. I mean, yes. you're not going to take That's a big swig of water. Came to mind for me. Yeah, too. <laughs> I mean, you just you just not. Yeah, and uh, I you don't realize how much you took that for granted. Mm. You know, while you were there, and like going back to India, I don't want to pick on India, but I mean, when I was there, uh, the power went off probably once a day at least. Sometimes for you know five minutes, sometimes for thirty seconds or something, but it's going to shut down at some point. And it's like, wow, a working power grid. That's a yeah. nice thing, and just. So I, I always recommend travel to most Americans uh, for that reason alone, just to appreciate what you have, because I don't think enough of them do, mm -hmm. you know, and we're always obsessed with, and that was another thing that when I'm, I always tell people when I'm gone, I always think about all I have and what I'm grateful for. Yeah. It's like when I'm back in America, I start thinking about what I don't have. Yeah. You know, yeah, and it's, exactly. it's it's amazing how my mind shifts here and we're just programmed to always want more. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's built on kind of. And, and so I've become, I don't know if this is travel has affected you, but it's really made me kind of a minimalist in terms of possessions and things like that. I, I don't own much, but I used to have more and I don't miss it. I got rid of a lot of things and I don't miss any of it. Yeah, I agree. I realized on some of my longer trips, you know, you're traveling around with either a large backpack or a suitcase or something, and then you get used to it and you come home and you go, wow, I really don't, I don't need all these things that I have. And it, it brings that into awareness how much you actually do need. Right, right. And uh, so what uh, made you want to write the book? And did this, it started out as a blog? Because you have a blog as well, I saw. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, I've always wanted to be a writer and it's when I wrote the book, it, it acts more of as a reminder to me 
So it's not me, you know, boasting that I know how to do this perfectly. What I wrote, I've revisited multiple times because I, I catch myself, you know, and so it's a reminder to me of how I want to live and how I can live without um, needing to be abroad in order to feel the way that I want to feel. And um, because of my career, I I was very fortunate in that I could do it anywhere I had internet and I took full advantage of that. And, you know, I, I, I tried out the traditional corporate job type thing and being limited to just two weeks of vacation, like made me feel so trapped and I just, I couldn't do it. And and talking with different people who do have the limitations on how much they can travel or how much vacation they get. It's like during those couple weeks, maybe two to three weeks which out of the entire year, they really look forward to that. And in talking to them, they all know that feeling of like, as soon as they get to their destination, it's like the worries just wash away and they're able to just be and enjoy and as a result, maybe they're, you know, more spontaneous or open to, you know, seeing different ways of life or just relaxing and laughing more easily. And um, I wanted to write, I guess, a guidebook for people to be able to take just a bit of that and sprinkle it throughout the rest of the year so that they don't have to just wait until the two to three weeks each year when when they get to take that time and and automatically go into it. And so the book kind of at the end of each chapter that goes over one of the different values, there's like a jet lag toolkit with like simple steps that someone can use to apply to their day. I'm like a checklist person and it summarizes it so that it's like little bite-sized pieces of what they can do to experience that joy and um presence regardless of whether you know they're standing in line at a trader joe's or sipping mm -hmm. margaritas on a beach it doesn't matter right uh but it's amazing though i mean americans get so little vacation time mm -hmm. and the crazy thing is a lot of them don't even take all of it yeah just even more nuts but in terms of freedom though uh you do have some news that your freedom might be uh limited very soon you want to, uh, I don't know, is this a secret? Can we? No, it's not a secret. It's very <laughs> obvious to people. It, I'm nine months pregnant and it's it's gone beyond the point of looking like I ate a big burrito. Like it's clear that I'm growing. <laughs> <human being. laughs> uh, so I'm due in just a couple weeks. And this wow. is my second kid. I have a son who's a two-year-old. And um, so travel looks a little different now, but I still prioritize it. You know, previously... I did a lot of solo trips um, and I also traveled with friends or, you know, my husband and stuff, but I, I love the feeling that traveling to a place by yourself provides. It's probably the closest that I've come to feeling like an explorer, which is what I always wanted to be when I grew, grew up. Like as a kid, I wanted to be a MacGyver explorer and I, I grew out the mullet in fifth grade and Wait, that's always that. a good look always yeah. a good look <laughs> for unfortunately it was right before picture day so sure. even though i cut it and changed it the the photos last forever um <laughs> but i just i was always chasing that feeling of, of going to a place where 
I didn't know a soul and then creating a new life. And I'm not saying I'd show up to a place and and like, you know, adopt a different persona. It's more like meeting brand new people and, and it's challenging because it can be lonely, you know, but I think there's a really big difference between feeling lonely and being alone. And the latter is more this sense of solitude. And also it reminds you that I, I, it just reinforces this confidence that you, you can do some really difficult things and get in really awkward, embarrassing situations. You don't have someone to laugh with you, but you, you start to really enjoy your own company. And so since having my first son, I haven't gone on any solo trips because I had him during the pandemic. Um, so it might be a little bit of time, but I know it'll happen in the future. Um, I've been with my husband for 18 years, like not married that long. I don't know if that would be legal, <laughs> but uh, we started dating back in college. And like a couple months after we started dating, I went off on a, a year abroad program. And so he's always been really supportive of, you know, the thing that makes me most passionate, which is traveling. And we've gone on some trips together and others I've gone on with just friends or by myself. And right now I, we've done a couple trips as a family to Canada. And then a few weeks ago, we just got back from Chile and, um, it's definitely different. It's a lot harder, um, cause you have to pack a lot more stuff and, wow, you know, you could do activities, but then you have to do down days and stuff. So it's different. Um, it adds a lot more spontaneity and maybe yeah. not sense that I, I used to appreciate, but more like. Oh, baby just shit himself on the bus. Now we have to figure <laughs> that out, but it's it's fun. It's a different kind of adventure and what I've grown to realize is you know, there's different seasons in life and right now this is the season where I focus on like family travel and recognize that it's a whole different type of adventure and a different type of trip than the previous adventure travels that I had done more like rugged or raw places, but that'll come back. And I'm excited to share what I love most with the people that I, who I love most. Well, you're going to get a chance to pass it down as well. And then these kids are going to see things that, you know, most kids won't, will never get to see from an early age and hopefully they'll get the bug mm -hmm. or, you, you know, you hope they don't get bored of it or take it for granted, you know, or you I take solo trips. I can't say yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> mom's off on one of her jaunts again yeah yeah well you know whatever works you know it's just uh it's great that your husband is like supportive of it and doesn't get you know jealous or uh you know angry why do you get to go on these trips and i don't get to go it's like hey you know you can come well yeah. no i can't <laughs> exactly yeah so um i also liked one of your articles that uh i read on the blog that uh, I was just having this conversation with somebody recently about boredom and how boredom can be like, you know, I'm a little older than you and I grew up pre-internet and all this other stuff. And then um, we just had to uh, figure things out and entertain ourselves and how no one is bored now. Mm -hmm. And I have friends, I don't have any kids, but I have friends with kids and teenagers. And, you know, if they don't have a device 
nearby or uh, Wi-Fi connections, some they they lose their minds. Hmm. Uh, so there's a joy or like a, a usefulness of boredom. You know, boredom creates ideas and makes people. It, it spurs creativity, and it's what made everybody start a band because they were bored <laughs> in the suburbs or whatever. You know, you go to your garage and you bang it out or whatever. Um, talk about that article and and. Um, I, yeah, I completely agree. I just feel like, so I, I, I'm grateful for when I grew up, um, my childhood was pre-internet and then, then came, you know, AOL instant messenger and like dial up and <laughs> you've got and mail things. So, you know, you cultivate patience with that too. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember as a kid, like my grandma would always be like only boring people say they're bored and stuff, you know, and, and we were just sent outside and couldn't come back. And (laughs) so we were forced to use our imagination and then, you know, culture and technology changes. And all of a sudden there are so many things nowadays that are constantly fighting for our attention. And it's really hard to create space for boredom, free from distraction, because it is boring when you're used to constantly being entertained. And the thing is, is that when we when we actively choose to make that space free from distraction and you get past that initial boredom, then you allow the opportunity for some really amazing things, creativity, imagination, curiosity, and all of those lead to joy. Uh, We need that, you know, when you don't allow any space for boredom or any of those three things to happen, then you don't allow for these ideas to come to mind. And you know, a lot of places that I've traveled to, it's like, because, you know, now it's a lot easier to connect to the internet wherever you are, but some places still, it's very difficult. And I love those trips because it's refreshing. You know, it takes a few days to get out of the habit of being like, oh, do I have notifications or not? And it's like phantom emails coming through or whatever. But after you get that out of your system, it, you naturally start using your phone, which for the ways it was originally intended, which is a tool, you know, um, a camera, uh, an actual phone or an alarm clock. And you're able to look around you and think, you know, think thoughts that are rooted in curiosity. And I tried to to implement this in daily life where like, you know, I get so focused sometimes on being productive and that can even be like, as I'm walking my dog, I listen to a podcast or an audio book and I'm like, well, I'm like learning and walking or listening to music and doing this and it feels good. But, you know, at least once or twice a week, I just don't, don't connect to anything. And I remember the first time I started doing this, like, my pace was so fast because I was so bored. And I'm just like, I just got to, let's get back, you know, just being alone with my thoughts. But then I really grew to appreciate it because I get some really interesting thoughts and oftentimes really weird thoughts coming to mind. And 
And I'd also start to notice the things around me um, that I hadn't seen before. So there's gifts in it. And because our phones are constantly on us nowadays, and, you know, we have all these apps that are always calling for our attention, you have to, you have to guard your mind and protect and preserve that boredom. Because if you don't, you'll never have it. It's it's way too easy to just constantly be distracted. And I just think like allowing that room for creativity to cultivate is so important. Like that's one of the things that makes us human. No, absolutely. And I was thinking about it in terms of travel. Uh, you know, with, I don't know how much car ride travel your family did growing up, but we took long car rides across the country and uh it was just me staring out the window but it made me look out the window and see the changing landscape and see houses on a mountain i grew up in the midwest with no mountains and it's like wow what's it like to live there and uh you notice everything because you had no other choice and was i bored a lot yeah but you you come up with games to play you do that kind of thing and now when i take trips with my niece and nephew their heads are down and they're phones the entire time so just like they don't even are we there yet they look up and then they miss everything out the window so i you know i envy them and pity them in the same in the same yeah yeah i know exactly what you mean um i asked this now i don't know how how are you good on time i'm good yeah i'm fine okay because i switched back to zoom from another thing now and i forgot i didn't get the uh deluxe or i didn't pay the deluxe version or something so it's going to cut us off Okay. At uh, in like five minutes or so, and then are you okay for me if I said you'd start a new one, and then I said yeah. you we'd have to end one, and then I'll send a new one back. So this one has about seven minutes left. So, no um, so we could just wrap up the book, and we'll see what, uh, and then we'll talk about you in the next one. Okay. We'll that get more personal good. in the next one. All right. So, what do you want people to take away from the book when they read it, and um, where can they get it? We we're gonna do all the plugs, you know. We're gonna find out is this on Amazon or is it self-published or is this how did you do it? Uh so it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles, and you can request it, you know, from indie bookshops and things like that. And uh I did self-publish. I was very resistant to that at first. Um, but the more I learned about it and saw the success of some uh author friends, I was like this is the way to go. Cause I already had the, um, experience and I guess self-discipline needed to kind of run it like my own business. And that way I get way more control over the outcome of it. And, uh, so that's the route I went and now it's so easy to be self-published and have your book wherever you want it. So, um, yeah, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, and then local indie shops, you can request it and they'll be able to order it. Yeah, great. And we'll have a link to it uh, also on our site. And who is the ideal audience that you thought when you had it, when you're writing it, when you had this book in mind, who was who was the audience? Um, a couple different people, you know, the people who are passionate about traveling and maybe not the the full time nomads, but the ones who do pair their passion with also being at home and kind of going through those motions. And also the, it doesn't need to be someone who who loves travel. I think that 
all of us in our lives, you know, we want more joy. And so this does have a lot of travel stories of how I have used that traveler's mindset, but it's also for, you know, a person who is just looking to take full advantage of their life and live with purpose and just notice more and appreciate more and feel like they are taking full advantage of it. That's great. Well, congratulations on the book. And that's, uh, you know, just to finish anything, how long did it take you? Um, well, I wanted to write it for years. And once I actually like sacked up, sat down and started, it took me about seven months and then started the editing process and publishing process and things like that. Um, so the whole thing start to finish was probably a couple of years. So for someone like me, who's had a travel book idea in his head forever, um, what's the best advice you can give me? Write it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say, you know, what I ended up doing is I tried a couple times over the years and then I'd let that inner critic get in my head and be like, ah, like this isn't good enough. And then I'd stop. And then finally it was like, let's see, January of 2019, I was like, I, it became harder not to write it than to write it. And I said, you know what? I need to make this happen and I'm going to have some ground rules. And I said, I will go to a cafe once a week and get a delicious latte or cappuccino. And the rule is I have to be there for at least one hour and I can choose to write or I can choose to sit there and look like a total creep, but I'm not allowed to do anything else. And while I'm writing, I cannot edit. I can't critique it. I just have to write from the heart and get it on paper and I'll do all that later. And I stuck to it and it, I went every single week and tried to make it fun by going to a cafe and getting it going. And then it became a habit. And I think stopping that inner critic from preventing me from getting it out and more writing it with the the mindset of either this is for me or this is for, you know, think of one or two people you really care about as opposed to how it's going to be perceived by a big audience, because that'll slow you down. (laughs) Right. Don't cast the movie in your head uh, too quickly. Yeah. (laughs) Who's going to play me? Maybe Julia Roberts. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So, well, let's talk about you and your stories. I mean, I don't, since I haven't seen the book, I look forward to reading it. It might have to send me one of those e-copies. Oh, absolutely. Do you use personal anecdotes and personal stories? Yes. Yeah. To, so, to as examples. Okay. Now give us, I want to say like when you got to, okay, why don't we pick Ecuador? Uh-huh. Uh, give me one moment you look back on that was a really bad culture shock mistake that you made right off the bat. Uh, there were lots of language mishaps. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. First one that comes to mind Basically, when I was there, I rented a room from this amazing family. It was this older couple who had an empty nest, and um, they. I was hesitant to rent a room from anyone because in when I studied abroad, I had some bad experiences with host families, and uh, 
So I was really looking to find my own place and it just, it didn't happen. Cause this is also like when Airbnb was just starting out and it was mostly domestic. So like finding stuff in South America was pretty much impossible. And, um, so I, I ended up renting a room from this family and from day one, they just welcomed me. They had a, a family lunch every Friday where it was like 15 or 20 family members would come over for a huge lunch. Um, and they invited me to join them that day. And then every Friday since, uh, and when the, the guy that I rented the house from, his name was Eduardo. He, he was, uh, turning 80. And so it was kind of like my host grandparents in a sense. And he had a big party and they invited, you know, all of their friends and family. And I was sitting down at this table with one of his friends who had to be, you know, at least 80 years old and only spoke Spanish. And at each of the tables was a picture of a traditional Ecuadorian drink that's usually only served like special occasions. It's called chicha. And so you don't see it in a lot of places. And they were serving it because it was a special occasion. And the guy I was sitting next to was like, oh, like, do you know what this is? Have you heard of this or tried this? And me in Spanish, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I I love chichis. They're delicious. And he just kind of looked at me like, kind of trying not to laugh and a little bit embarrassed for me. And I was like, well, maybe my accent sucked or something. And I was like, <laughs> well, do you want some? Like, it's so good. And I poured him some. And um, it wasn't until like a couple hours later that I was replaying the conversation because his reaction was so off and like different than I expected that I realized I said chichis, which means boobs. Right. That part in, you know, in a lot of places. And so I, I basically told this 80 year old guy that I love boobs and they're delicious and then offered him, you know, <laughs> to celebrate, I guess. That's a good one. Yeah. When I was, uh, I remember doing stand-up back, you know, long time ago, but there was a chain of, I don't know if they had them in California, a Mexican restaurant called Chi-Chi's no. back in the 80s and 90s. Oh, yeah. So it was in the Midwest. And uh, there was a guy I knew, it was another comic, and his joke was, you know, Chi-Chi's is Spanish for tits. Yeah. And uh, that should be their logo, just Chi-Chi's. <laughs> it's Spanish for tits. And then I would eat there. And that was That was yeah. his joke. Um, yeah, but you made that. Oh, that that's an honest mistake. Yeah. But Chicha, is that that like home brew that they make? It, you know, every country seems to have one instead. Yeah. Like it's Guaro in uh, Costa Rica, and it's just like you know, really hardcore, cheap liquor. Yeah, right? and so the one that they were serving, it wasn't exactly traditional because like the traditional traditional version is uh made, I think with maybe corn. I can't remember and spit. And then oh. it luckily that one didn't have the spit. So, okay. Well, now we're getting to that. Give me the craziest thing you've ever drank and the craziest thing you ever ate in any country. Oh, um, so eating, uh, in, in Ecuador, they do have a specialty and I can't remember the name of it right now, but it's, it's Guinea pig. Oh yeah, that that's big in uh, Peru. Yes, as well. yeah, yeah. yeah. And I forget so, I forget the name of it, but yeah, I had it in Peru. It'll come to me at like four in the morning, right? Like it was this, uh, <laughs> but I did try it. You know, I'll try anything four times. Why not? 
And it's it a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work for not a lot of payoff. It's a lot of little yeah. bones and things, you know. Yes. And I tell people it's kind of like rabbit if you ever yeah. had that. Right. And it was described to me before I tried it. Someone was like, I'm like, well, what's it taste like? And they're like, it's kind of like oily and salty. And I was like, okay, oily is usually not like a way I describe something good, but whatever. Like I like salty things. So (laughs) it's just, it's kind of, uh, it's not bad. It's just intimidating the way it looks because they put the guinea pig on a spit and it has like, you know, his little teeth and stuff. Yeah, but tried that Um, one. (laughs) One thing I I tried, but I just I couldn't hang. And I'm usually like I, you know, I can try stuff and and get past it, even if something is, you know, not to my liking. But, But I was 17. I was in France and they the host family made like a traditional meal of blood sausage which I had never heard of before (laughs) and I just remember like being like oh what is this this is a weird looking sausage and they the host family was there and a couple of their friends and stuff and like I people get a kick out of watching foreigners try their traditional meals so like everyone was watching me eat this sausage and I remember cutting it open and it was like it's, it's basically like pig's blood in a sausage casing heated up so that it congeals a bit. And I realized like when they explained what it was after I cut into it and I had the fork going to my mouth and I was just like, oh my God, I'm going to eat like, like chunky blood right now. And I took one <laughs> bite and I was just like, I don't, I can't, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I can't do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, that was that I tried that only one time. I just right. <laughs> so I'm going to stereotype you as a, you know, with the typical Tahoe person. Are you a, like a hiker and a skier and everything else? Like you do whitewater rafting, the whole deal? Yes. I, it's one of the things I love best about this place is there's so many fun outdoor activities. Um, I love hiking. Got into mountain biking uh, about two months after my son was born, and I realized I needed to wait probably another month before yeah. I had a try. Take it easy, will you? Yeah. Give yourself a break. Yeah, those seats aren't forgiving. No, um, no. But it was, I, I love that. And I'm a snowboarder and wakeboarder. And um, that's kind of how I met my husband is we were both wakeboarders and uh, got sponsored by a wakeboard company called Hyperlight. And um, then I, you know, basically became a geriatric weekend warrior in that mm-hmm. sport, which happens, unfortunately, at a very young age of like mid 20s in your old news. Right, right. Um, but we still like love to do it. It's just the progression aspect has really slowed because it's also a sport that unfortunately leads to a lot of head injuries and stuff. And and I got multiple concussions and broken bones. And with the, the last concussion, which was like 10 years ago, it, it really screwed me up for like a couple months. And I was trying to write stuff at the time. Um, and I just couldn't think of words. And I was like, mm. I, okay, I That's think scary. I it. it was, it did scare me, but now I just go out and try to not lose any more tricks that I once had. Which okay. Is, yeah. It's still fun. Let's, let's keep in mind your mom now, you yeah. know, maybe, maybe take a, take it easy. Will you? I hate to see anything happen. <laughs> um, yeah. so did you were, 
was that kind of uh like i don't want to say extreme sports but with that kind of activity was that a um a big thing on your travels around the world i mean did you base it around i don't know if you did you did you do the machu picchu while you were down in south america did you go to the galapagos did you are you a diver or did you do any of that stuff I'm not a diver, um, but I did go, yeah, I, I hiked the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu, mostly when I'm when I'm traveling. Um, I, I've gone snowboarding a couple places, but uh, generally it's, I, I like to find hikes and things like that. You know, you don't have to deal with equipment rentals or anything, and you just get to scope out completely different environment. So I've done lots of hikes. Uh, did the Galapagos while I was in Ecuador, um, which was really cool. Like I found a, a last minute opening on this little tiny boat and got put in a room. And luckily it was shared with another girl because it was just like an open bunk bed. And so that, oh, okay. that really worked out because it was like, who are you going to get? Um, but that was just an, an incredible experience. So I, I try to, um, you know, keep up the adventurous activities and try new things, but it's mostly just go someplace and see what locals recommend and try it out. What's your uh, dream hike? Do you have a, a bucket list uh, place? Oh, um, I, you know, I went to Nepal a couple years ago and I did like a, a four day backpacking trek. Did you do the base camp? Did you go to you know, Everest base camp? I want to do that one. That's one that's on there. Yeah. Uh, base camp, um, Everest base camp and Kilimanjaro base camp. I would love to do. I'm not a mountain climber. Um, oh. Well, Kilimanjaro, and, I did. You could do that one. That's There's no base camp there. You just get up there. You know, okay. it takes like four or five days. It's a trail. Gotcha. So it's, it's not really a technical hike. You know, you just, it's just the elevation gain that it's the elevation that gets people. So the peak is like around, I want to say 19,000 feet or something a little over that so yeah that's substantial <laughs> it's high you know so it affects everybody a different way so some people don't do elevation well so they'll pass out or whatever so you just got to go slow and be careful slow okay. that's everything and try to eat yeah i found with elevation and hiking fifteen thousand feet was where i started to feel it like that's i've had a similar like threshold for yeah that. That seems to be the dividing line there. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to visit there. And then when I was in Nepal, um, the, the trek that we did, it was actually, uh, called Poon Hill. Um, I have no idea why, you know, not related to our English version of it, but, um, <laughs> really yeah. Chi Chi. Yeah. Really? <laughs> um, but it was incredible because, you know, we, we got to, the top uh to in order to watch the sunrise over the Annapurna mountain range and it was just amazing how high up these mountains were where we were at gosh i think over over 10,000 feet and then we were looking at these peaks from this mountain range that were two and a half times higher than that and it it just looked like we were looking at mountains on another planet they were so high up and it just, that's one of my favorite memories because we were there with, a you know, dozens of other random people who were there to see the sunrise. And as the sun started to 
pop up and put that alpen glow on the the mountains it was like everyone did this collective gasp of, <laughs> of awe and it was just incredible and i think that's that's what i live for on these trips is it, are there the moments of awe that are you're just like i can't believe this is real life and especially when you can share it with you know friends or total strangers by yourself is cool and that's one of the things where solo travel can be really nice but at the same time like years ago oh what was that movie into the wild you know based yeah. on the um there's a scene where he writes down the quote happiness is more real when shared and sometimes that's true sometimes that's not sometimes happiness is super real when it's just you but other times like those moments of awe when you can experience it with someone else it just amplifies it yeah no absolutely i know i mean i haven't been to nepal it's like on my dirty dozen of countries left that i really have to go to when were you there what year uh 2018 so was this after the earthquake in Kathmandu? okay what was the how did it look i mean was still a lot of damage and things yeah there was quite a bit of damage still oh that's a bummer yeah yeah, I had friends that had gone and they said, oh, you'll never know what it was like before the, before yeah. that. And it was like, I could see that you could, it was just, you know, um, they, there was proof of it everywhere. Still. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So give me your number one best mountain you've ever snowboarded on. Ooh. Okay. That's actually an easy one. Um, we, I went to Whistler. And this was in 2014. Um, and my husband surprised me with a trip. We were dating at the time there. And he doesn't surprise me with trips. I'm the trip planner. <laughs> and I was like, I, at that point, we'd been together for more than 10 years, I think. Right. And I was like, I think I know what's coming. I better trim my fingernails and make uh... sure. And he arranged for this heliboarding experience. And um, we, you know, took a helicopter to three different peaks and then snowboarded down. And on the second one, I swear, I, like, I, I don't intentionally mean to reference a whole bunch of double meaning things, but he proposed on a mountain that was known as Dolly's Cleavage because it was kind of like yeah that. And you mean Chi Chi uh, Mountain, that one? Yes, yeah. Okay, so that's got it. Basically, the reason I said yes, I'm like, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, of course I'm going to go there. Mountain, I'm into it. Sure. <laughs> but it was it was so cool. Um, it was very tough because I never snowboarded on powder like that before, and you know we had powder specific boards and everything, and it took some adjustments uh, to get used to it because you'd fall and then you'd just be like a turtle trying to get out and I Jeff had told me my husband he was like yeah when I told the pilot and the guide the plan it was part of a group tour they were all like are you are you doing this because you like to snowboard or because she likes to snowboard and if she says no it's going to be really awkward for everyone so you got to be sure and he's like I'm sure this will be good but then he said he was so panicked the whole time because he was snowboarding and occasionally falling in like several feet of powder and just being like, do I still have it? Do I still have the ring? Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Lost. 
and I did say yes. And it was a, it was a really awesome experience. Wow. So I, that always scares me, but I, I'm not, I'm total mediocre skier. You know, I go like once a year and just to remind myself I can do it, but it's been a few <laughs> years. It's been pre COVID since I've been, but, uh, I've never hella skied before, but when you, they drop you off, um, I'm sure that, I mean, they know the mountain that they're dropping you off on, but is there anything at the bottom? Do they pick you up? I mean, are you going to someplace? I mean, how does this work? <laughs> yeah. Um, luckily they, they drop you off and then guide you down and then the helicopter will meet you at the bottom. And the way that this, this tour worked is that they did that a total of three times and then flew you back to the starting point. Wow. Is there like a, uh, are you scared of like avalanches? Yeah, but I that would scare me. I yeah, avalanches are are very scary, but I felt like I was in really good hands and before we started, we had to go through um like a mini avalanche training program, um understanding how to use the tools and we all had like the backpacks with the beacons and everything and we actually so we went out just for a long weekend and um the day after we arrived we went through the little program and we're all ready to go. And then they said, oh, weather isn't good. So like we we can't go today. Try again tomorrow. Um, and so we kind of got two mini courses and how to manage that. And the ways that the way that the days aligned is that first day was a Sunday. And a lot of the people that were on that tour and they weren't able to go, they had to leave like that evening or the next day. And then on Monday, we went out and because they had extra spots, like a bunch of the staff came. So our proportion of people who knew what they were doing versus not was really solid. And yeah. so I felt pretty comfortable um, that that we'd be okay, you know, especially since they canceled it the day before, just to be totally safe. Oh, okay. Well, well, I think we're going to get some local flavor from you now. You're going to be the uh, Tahoe tour guide right now. Yeah. Uh, last time I was there, it was actually during COVID, September of 2020. Oh, and wow. that's when the fires were really bad. And the smoke was, I mean, you couldn't even see the mountains. It was really bad. Yeah. So um, if you give people like Tahoe advice, uh, what time of year should they go? I mean, obviously skiing is good. We'll we'll have winter advice and summer advice. What can you tell people who are thinking of going? Uh winter advice, you know, it's to to watch the forecast. This winter was very wild and pay attention when they say don't travel because of se severe winter storm, don't travel because cars get stuck and it's like it's a real situation. And so if you do travel during winter, always pack water and food and stuff. Um, all seasons, always take food out of your car because we have a bunch of yogi bears who are very hungry <laughs> and very urbanized and they know how to get in your car. And if the door shuts, they don't know how to get out and they will shit and scratch and do whatever to try to get out. Oh. Um, but I would say, you know, winter's great. All of Tahoe, there's so many different ski resorts and everything. Or if you're into snowshoeing or cross-country skiing, you could do those two things in several places for free, which is really nice because the resorts have gotten quite expensive. Summer, um, 
it's it's incredible. Water is very cold year round, but you know, in higher elevation, it feels like even at 60 degrees, it feels more like 80 degrees out. And so there's sandy beaches and hikes and everything and and just kind of being aware of your timing when you come up. It can get really, really busy. And um, so this weekend, 4th of July is one of the busiest summer weekends of the year. And it's kind of notorious for litter, unfortunately. So there's the the classic phrase of pack it in, pack it out, you know, just because it is such a beautiful spot, it's important to maintain it. Um, and then also, you know, a lot of the different areas of Tahoe have their own social media accounts and, and the stuff that they put out is up to date. And so you can find out about fires or any sort of issues because things can change pretty quickly here. You know, there was a just two weeks ago, I think it was a sunny, awesome day. And then in the afternoon, there was this crazy hail storm. And like my neighbor got caught out on his motorcycle um, in the middle because it just things can change very fast. You're in the mountains. So just yeah. be prepared. Okay. Um, well, this has been fun. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate you spending time. And I know you uh, got a lot of planning to do in the next two weeks. Uh, wow. This is big time for you. Big yes. time for you. <laughs> it is. But you, but it's I, so funny. I only see you from like you know, the chest up. So I don't, uh, I can't, I'm assuming you're, you're, you're telling the truth on the pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I lie <laughs> about that. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Doc, yeah. Can I say, do you know if it's a boy or a girl? This. Yes, another boy. And so um I I need to figure out the name ASAP because You don't have a name I, yet. No, I have I have a couple that I like, but the thing is like with my first son, we figured out the name very early on and I just like had this gut knowing of like that's it. And now <laughs> we're having another boy and it's like, well, I feel like I've already used my best one. <laughs> and I pride myself on the names that like my dog's name is donut. And like, I just like, I names are important and they they've luckily matched personalities to who I've named so far, but nothing has really stuck in my gut. And I think it's going to come down to meeting my son when he looks like a raisin alien and being totally <laughs> physically exhausted and being like, you shall be this for the rest of your life. So good luck to him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, a band they have 10 years to write their first album and then you know six months to write their second one yeah so yeah, this is your follow-up this is your sequel this is your your follow-up album here so make it good yeah so that's great well congratulations and where can people follow you on social media and everything else i i'm mostly active on instagram and my handles cat medina writer cat with a k Okay, so we'll have a we'll have a link to that as well. Okay, Kat, thank you so much, and uh, we'll look for the book. And uh, yeah, uh, we'll try learn our lessons from travel and not be an asshole. <laughs> Perfect. Even, even so though much. yours it says uh, a hole, right? <laughs> yeah. Give me the title one more time. Give me the full title. Yeah, the joys of jet lag. How to use a traveler's mindset to not be an a hole in daily life. Love it, love it, Kat Medina. Everybody, thanks, Kat. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> 